by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. One day I went over to my grandparents' house. He was staying over there. And I said, what the world happened to you, boy? He, he was like 12 years old at the time. He's six years younger than me. His arm was all bandaged up, and it looked like his eyebrows were missing. And his, even his eyelashes were gone. I said, you look, you look crazy. What happened? And the front of his hair was singed off, and, it, you know, just a little wiry up here, and, and his forehead was real red and stuff. I said, what's wrong with you, boy? He said, you know how Papa likes to burn stuff? I said, yeah, and my look, my papa, he he's what one of them called a pyromaniacs. He would burn anything that wasn't nailed down. If you went and visited and you didn't nail your suitcase down, if you turned your back on your suitcase, it was liable to end up on the burn pile. Am I telling the truth? He loved to burn stuff. Once or twice a year, he would set fire to the grass across on the railroad track across the 61 highway from his house, and it would start burning all the way towards the town of Shaw, Mississippi, and the firemen would come out there with water hose, put it out, say, Nello, did you do this again? No, I didn't do that. I don't know what happened there. He just wanted to burn something. He burnt the shed down. He would always have a pile. Every morning before he'd go get his coffee, he would set the burn pile aflame. And so he said, Papa went to get coffee, and he forgot to burn, set the burn pile on. So I went and got his five-gallon can, can of gasoline. <laughs> now, see, he's only 12 years old. Some of us have learned. But <clears throat> and so he starts, he said, I poured it all out, <laughs> all five gallons. <laughs> and he he said, I got a box of matches, and I was sitting there, shoo, shoo. <laughs> He said, that one of them lit, and the next thing I know, poof. <laughs> he said, it was a I just saw a big white wall of something. Now, me and you, we saw the commercials when we was growing up. What happens when you catch the fire? You stop, <laughs> drop, and you roll, you know. <laughs> Well, he, I don't, I, maybe, I, I, maybe I've never been on fire. I don't know. Does your brain work right when you're on fire? I don't know. Maybe Heath had never heard that or, <laughs> I don't know. But Heath didn't stop, drop, and roll. He just rolled. He said, I took off running so fast. He said, when I looked behind me, the fire was trying to catch up with me. <laughs> He said, I was halfway around the barn, and the fire finally went out. I put the fire out by outrunning the fire. I said, I never heard of such. <laughs> Why did I tell this story? Because today's message is entitled, Stop, Drop, and Roll. And I'll tell you later why. Turn to Psalm 68. <laughs> <clears throat> I 
there's better ways to start a fire. <laughs> I started thinking about that story this week when I was preparing, and, and I got to laughing so hard, I wish I could tell it the way I saw it. <laughs> he, was, he took off running now. And then you, know, you know, oxygen is supposed to, to inflame you worse, but he was running so fast, he outran the air. I don't know. I probably, I'm slow, but I think if I was on fire, I might do the same thing. Psalms 68, verse 3. It says, let the godly rejoice. The word rejoice means to rejoy, to stir yourselves up, to, to, to express how you're feeling on the inside or express how you want to feel on the inside. Rejoice. The godly should rejoice. Let them be glad in God's presence. Say presence. What does the presence mean? It means He's there with you, right? Isn't God supposed to be there with us? Let them be glad in God's presence. Let them be filled with joy. Sing praises to God and to his name. And that's what we did this morning, right? Name above all names. Wow. Miss Kaylee was anointing today. Anointed. Sing loud praises to him who rides the clouds. His name is the Lord. Rejoice in his presence see in his presence is fullness of joy with God is where you need to be if God moved over there I'm not just going to sit over here and pout I'm wanting to be in the presence in the fullness of joy I want to be with him why because in verse 5 it says he's a father to the fatherless he's a defender of widows this is God who's dwelling is holy. See, we need to solidify the, the idea in our mind that our vertical needs to line up. Our relationship with God, we often think that our relationship with God is me here and God in heaven, but really the relationship is me here and God here, but it's still vertical. <laughs> It's, it's, we got to understand that we're a temple of the living God, that God dwells within us. We just can't ignore that God is in our hearts if we're born-again Christians. And we need to develop that relationship, understand that he is with us. We need to, to, to revel in his presence, so to speak. we got to get that vertical straight. God is concerned about the vertical, so much so that Jesus prays in John 17, 24. He said, Father... I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am. He tells the Father, that's, that's my prayer, that all these people will be with me. Tiffany, you will be with me where I am. That's what Jesus is saying. 19 Twana, he wants you with him where he is. And that's awesome. He said in John 14, 3, he says, when everything is ready, I will come and get you. So that you may be with me where I am. That's his desire, that you're with him. He knows it's a little difficult now because we can't see him face to face. He knows we have to operate by faith now. But there will come a day when you will see him face to face. And you will be like him. And we will be with him for eternity. And he's longing for that day. Are you longing for that day? Get that vertical right. 
But I want to, what I really want to talk about today is when you get that vertical right, the horizontal begins to balance out too. The horizontal gets really good when you get the vertical right. You ever had one of those old TVs back in the old days? You had to set the horizontal and the vertical or the picture would be doing that number. Yeah, I'm, I'm aging myself, ain't I? Anyway, why? Why is the horizontal important to God? Is the horizontal important to God? Well, if you keep reading in Psalm 68, verse 6, it says God places the lonely in families. Why did God take the time to put us in families? Why did we start out as little babies with this structure of, of people that love us and defend us and take care of us and feed us and, and brothers and sisters to do life with and cousins and, and all these big family reunions we get to have and all these wonderful things? God wants us to have horizontal relationships. He's a defender of the fatherless and the widows, and he places the lonely in families. He sets prisoners free. He gives them joy, don't he, Big Joe? <laughs> I'm telling you, some of the most joyful services I've ever been a part of was down at the jail. When you'd think there'd be no freedom, but where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Them guys are shouting for freedom in them yellow jumpsuits behind bars. It's about the presence of God in our lives and in our horizontal relationships too. And it goes on to say, but he makes the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. Rebellious. What, what, in context, he's saying rebellious to his plan for families. Rebellious to his plan to be in his presence. Are you being rebellious? Do you want to live in a dry, weary, wilderness, sun-scorched? Life gets unfun. When you don't have connection with others, you don't have connection with God. You lose sight of life itself. You know, God is life. And if you're, you're fading away from life, then you're not living. God is concerned about your vertical. He's also concerned about your horizontal. See, there's three main things God gave us in our horizontal. To live in families. Then he gave us this wonderful gift called friends. And not for everyone but for those who would, he gives something called marriage. Oh, you're talking about a connection. You're talking about getting close to somebody. I mean, that's taking it next level horizontal right there. I mean, that's, the, that's a relationship that you think, wow, how can two people get any closer? That is a merging of two people into one. And God is using these three horizontal things to paint the picture of the three things that he wants to give us vertically. Because Romans 8 says that we're adopted into his family. Jesus says in John 15 that we've become his friends. And then, wow, in Isaiah, he tells us, Isaiah 54, 5 says, for your creator will be your husband. He wants to go deeper. I don't know where you are in your relationship with God. I don't know how you see the marriage, uh, uh, the relationship in marriage, but it's gooder than, 
than we're supposed to be, that we're living right now. And it can be deeper than we're living right now. God wants to so unite with you that people can't tell you apart from him. He wants to become, the two become one. And isn't that what else Jesus prayed in John 17? That they may be one as you and I are one, Father. He wants to have such a close relationship. He, he, his whole thing is that he wants to be with you. The whole reason Jesus came and died and bled and died on that cross for us and raised to new life is so that we could raise to a new life and be one with him. To have the vertical and the horizontal relationships that's going to bring us life everlasting. Is this too simple for y'all? Seems like pretty good to me. God pines over us. He knows how many hairs is on your head. I mean, the relationship is not. <laughs> for, for some of us, that's an easy thing for him. But, okay. He loves you. You know, when I first met Angie, we fell in love when we was dating, you know. And she didn't have a car. She was 22 years old. She didn't have her own car. She was bumming rides back and forth to work and stuff. And I, I was taking her. And I said, what, girl, why don't you got a car? She said, well, my family's been kind of poor, and they couldn't afford to get me one, you know. And, and I finally saved up to get a car when I was 20 years old. She said, I went to a used car dealership and I bought me a Subaru <laughs> and she spent all her money on a Subaru but she didn't really know how to drive good so she wrecked it on the way home and totaled it <laughs> so all the money she had spent is gone she's 20 the next two years she's bumming rides I guess a car she just didn't see it in her future I don't know but I met her and, and, and I'm infatuated and I'm in love with her and everything I'm like how much money you got in the bank? I mean, I didn't love her enough to pay for her car, but I was going to try to help her. <laughs> and she said, I got $500 in the bank. I said, well, let me look in the classified. That's way before Craigslist and stuff. Now, let me look in the classified, and we'll see if we can find you a car. And we found her a car for $500. It was a burnt orange Volkswagen Bug. Now, I imagine the reason it was $500 is because it didn't have a hood over the motor, and when it would rain, it would just rain into the motor. And it, you really couldn't use the back seat and, you know, unless you wanted to fall out and be run over by, because there was, there's, the floorboard was rusted out. Do I make these things up? I'm, see, I'm getting witnesses on these things. You can't make these things up. But the thing would drive, and she, she knew how to drive a stick. I don't know where she learned that. But she would buzz around in that thing. But say she would be over my house, and then she was supposed to be at work that afternoon. Well, when it went time to go, I didn't want to leave her. I didn't want her to leave me, so I would follow her out in the, in the driveway. She, I'd kiss her all the way and get in the car, and she'd, she'd finally say, I gotta, you know, she'd roll the window. I got to go, you know. And as she's driving off, I'm in. 
she'd back out and she'd be like, she'd drive around, she'd drive around the corner and I'd, I'd just sit out in the driveway. When did she get back? Now I'm not saying God does that for us, but I, I think He is looking at His watch. When when are we gonna get closer? When are you going to feel about me the way I feel about you? When are you going to understand that real life is in me? I am the source of life. I gave you life. You want life and life more abundantly, you got to know me. You, this is how you know life. You know me. What does it say? The, the scripture coming to mind. And this is life that they may know you. God's only son or something like that. Look it up. Y'all got a Bible. <clears throat> but today, I mean, we're living in the loneliest society. We got more people than we ever have, but we're lonelier than we ever been because we teach our children growing up, you got to be an island. You got to do it yourself. Don't You don't need no help. And that's so far from God's word. That's not true. We need one another. And today, we got more technology supposed to connect us better but we're all being lured into virtual world. We don't have real friends. We got virtual friends. And they're not real friends. Can, can I be honest with you? This is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God, Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. That is, see, it's in the relationship to know him. That's eternal life. See, I am preaching real good. But today, our kids growing up, you know, unless they've been in the church and they've learned better, they, they can't look you in the eye when they shake your hand. They don't know how to shake your hand. <laughs> they can't hold a conversation. They don't know how to talk to people. It's sad. They, they know how to do this, though. That's all they know how to do. That ain't cutting it. That ain't life. And if I could go back, I wouldn't have given my children cell phones until they're 20 years old or something. In fact, give me your cell phone right now. I wish I, I, wish I could take them from them right now. But God has done things too. He doesn't give up so easily. From the beginning, he created something called the church. And that's what he's doing. He's building a, a group of like-minded people who will build horizontal relationships. But what do we do with that? We create rafters churches. And you say, what in the world is a rafters church? That's a church that's so big as you can hide up in the rafters and nobody knows you're there. You can slip in a side door and, you know, climb 40 sets of steps and go up there and not have to shake anybody's hand. Or we watch church on TV. Oh, I get my church on TV. Or we listen to it on podcasts. These things are supposed to be supplements to your faith. They're not supposed to be substitutes for what for church. And today, even in our church, some people say, oh, it's getting easier to miss. I'll just listen to it on the podcast. Uh-uh. Don't bring that stuff around here. That's not true. You need to be here. Now, Now, if you can't be here for a certain reason or something, but don't just say, I'll just listen to it on the podcast because I want to sleep in today. People say, well, 
I am the church. I don't need a building. That's dumb, irrelevant thinking. That's got nothing to do with nothing. You are what God is building. It ain't about the building, but it's about us as people coming together and building the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 says the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. We're all parts of one another. What good is a foot if it ain't collect, connected to the leg? Oh, you, you're a nice looking foot, but you're not going to kick anybody over there without a leg. And you wonder why the church in America is so ineffective and why we're losing grip on society is because the church is walking around every Sunday. Parts are missing. There's no faithfulness. We don't understand that when we miss church and we don't come together and give our supply, the church is lacking. We think church is just about what I can get. That's so stupid. Man, I'm preaching too hard. You want to be part of something bigger than yourself, you need to understand that church is where you give, not just get. The worship. Some people say, I only come in, you know, after the worship. I don't like our music team, or I don't, you know, I don't want to do all that. I just want to get the word. That's your opportunity to give to God and create the circle flow. You're giving, and he's, re he's returning the love. It's, it's, but you just want to come and get? We got squirrely thinking. Squirrely thinking. And I'm telling you, it's not working for you. It's not working for the body of Christ. It's not working for America. It's not working for God. We got to get back to the days where people understood that I got to go to church. I got to be with my Lord. I got to worship him. I don't just go when I feel like it. It's who I am. The devil's goal is to isolate you. I see people on a slow fade right now. They ain't here to know I'm saying that, so tell them about the podcast. They're on a slow fade right now. It's just getting easier for them to miss church. Well, you know, I'll listen to the podcast. You better watch out. The devil is trying to isolate you, pick you off like those wildebeest that get separated from the herd. He gets you confident, oh, I'm good with God. And you start that slow fade, next thing you know, you're lagging behind the herd, and here comes the devil. <laughs> he got you now. You done got outside the walls of protection God meant for your life. God doesn't want us to be alone. We need each other. I am telling the truth. Thank you. I believe this with all my heart. I want us to grow a church that means something in every life that comes here. You know, Moses, when he brought the people out of Egypt, there's over two, two million of them, they say. He brought them into the wilderness. And those knuckleheads, he, he couldn't get them in the promised land because they couldn't get the slavery out of their hearts. Even though he brought them out of slavery, they were still carrying the slavery around with them. They couldn't see themselves. 
as overcomers and conquerors, but God was holding them together, trying to teach them. And poor Moses, he was sitting in the gate from morning till after dark trying to judge all their cases. You know, they were bringing their disputes and everything and needed wisdom, and they were all coming to Moses. Two million people! And they would all sit out there, let's say out of two million, 200,000 that day needed something from Moses. Do you think one man could do that? He was wearing himself out, and he was wearing the people out. They're like, this ain't working. We need to go back to Egypt. Well, Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, comes along. He said, Moses, what you're doing is not good. You're wearing yourself out, and you're wearing the people out. What you need to do is you need to take this heart that you have, this heart for the Lord, this heart that you have for the people, and you need to put it into other people like-minded, like you, who want to serve people, who, who, who won't take a dishonest bribe, who's not trying to draw people away after themselves, but trying to draw people to, to God. And you need to put your heart in them and then let them judge. Make them captains over tens, fifties, hundreds, thousands. In other words, a structure of leadership underneath you so that nobody falls through the cracks. Nobody's sitting out there waiting for seven days to get their answer about how to fix the toilet or something. That's a long story. Okay. So Moses did just that. He put his heart into other leaders, and they broke things up. And what they did is this effectively created small groups. And that's the same thing that God is trying to do in this church. He recognizes that one person cannot hear all the complaints of all these people. One person cannot take care of everybody that gets sick and, and pray for everybody that needs this and, and visit everybody that needs a, a shoulder to cry on. But, but that God never glorifies a man anyway. He always just uses, he puts his heart in somebody who's supposed to put their heart in somebody who's supposed to, we're all supposed to be carriers of God's heart and take care of one another. And so he's given us the idea of life groups here. We cannot continue to grow. We're growing. Thank God. The Spirit of God is in this place, and people are coming, and we're getting bigger. But I'm feeling like Moses. God, I can't keep doing this. I feel like such a failure. Some of you are saying, Pastor, don't never visit me no more. He don't text me like he used to. He don't call me, and everybody's getting mad at me. And, and, but I'm just one person. I can't do it. And I'm telling you, God knows I can't do it. And so he's given us this wonderful gift and this idea called life groups where we, I am pouring my heart into other like-minded leaders. The Bible says, and I think it's Jeremiah, shepherds after his own heart, people who have a heart to shepherd others. And maybe that'll be you one day because this is also going to be a wonderful way for the church to raise up more and more leaders, more and more people with hearts to serve one another. And so we're going to have small groups. I've been telling you about that. And next week, don't you miss next Sunday, because I'm going to lay it all out on the line. I'm going to tell you the nuts and bolts about how we're going to do this. It's going to change the way we do church in, a, in many respects, but it's going to be a change for the good. And I'm going to tell you, I'm, and I'm, I'm asking you, big brothers and sisters, keepers of the culture, remember? 
Let's pull together. Let's give this a shot. If it's God, it's God. Like Miss Marcia said, we got to do what God says. Even if it, it may seem uncomfortable, it may, we don't understand. No, don't, don't be murmuring and complaining or you'll stay in the wilderness forever. You want to enter into the promised land, you say, yes, sir. You said go, I go. Where the presence is, that's where I go. And God is going to do something great. He's given us the same advice that he gave Moses in the form of small groups. And just because I'm goofy, I wrote a few things down. You, you don't have to tell us that, Pastor. We can see that plainly. All right. Small groups will foster fellowship, friendship, kinship which will in turn foster mentorship and discipleship. It will cause you to feel a sense of ownership and partnership, apprenticeship. It will raise up leadership and make you have stewardship. And I'm not just throwing them words in there because they have ship at the end. All those are true. And it should be our response to Jesus' lordship, <laughs> a form of worship <laughs> that will hopefully lead to much membership. And for some of you singles, it hopefully lead to some kind of courtship, you know, I don't know. Just threw that one in there. You know, that's the way my grandmama used to get me to go to church when I was little. She said, there's some, there's some pretty girls going to our church now. And I'd get there, and the youngest girl was like 67 or something. <laughs> we, <laughs> but I'd fall for it every time. <clears throat> Next week, we're going to lay it out. Don't you remember back when the weight of the world wasn't on your shoulders? When you just love to hang out with your friends, life hadn't got so complicated yet. You didn't have so much responsibility. You wasn't weighed down to the point that, man, when is this thing getting over? Even so, come back, Lord Jesus. When you just like to hang out with people, that's what these small groups, these, we're going to call them life groups, that's what they're going to do for you. They're going to give you a group of people that's going to be your friends. And you're going to enjoy spending time. And you're going to enjoy spending time. But is, you say, well, I don't have time for that. That's exactly why we're talking about this. You've got to make time for the vertical and the horizontal. You've got to make time for life or you won't live life. Pastor Robert Jeffries, First Baptist Dallas, he was talking about the church and how the church is hesitant today to ask anybody to do anything because he, know, he knows, like I know, that everybody's schedule is so busy. B-U-S-Y, being under Satan's yoke. Everybody's so busy. Well, we, we can't dare ask him to do anything else. We can't ask him to do. But I have learned that the things that I'm asking you to be involved in to, to serve the Lord are the things that need to be the big rocks in your life. They need to be the first place in your life so that everything else will begin to fall into place. You've made other things other than your relationship with God first place, and that's why you're out of whack. 
If Jesus is not the hub of your wheel, you're through life. You're not really rolling. He says, many churches are hesitant to ask their people to properly respond to God's grace. They say, if after you have fulfilled your work responsibilities, if after you've indulged all your time in your hobbies, if after you spend all the time with your family that you can possibly stand, after all that, if you happen to have an hour or two left, would you maybe consider serving in the church somewhere? Otherwise, you're under no obligation. And so you have churches that never ask anything of anybody. I'm asking you. I'm informing you that you're never going to live until you step into the things of God and put God first place in your life. And I'm telling you, not just what I think I know, I'm telling you what I've lived out and do know. You remember the story of Martha, Martha? Mary's sitting at Jesus' feet and she's soaking up everything he says. And Martha's back there cooking and cleaning and taking care of everybody. And she comes in there, Jesus, you're just going to let Mary sit there? Tell her to get up and help me. And Jesus says to Martha, Martha, you're troubled, you're worried about many things. But Mary has found the good thing, and it will not be taken away from her. Now, was he saying that what she's doing is wrong? Is there not a time to clean and wash and cook dinner? No, you got to do those things. But Jesus is saying you got to have your priorities. See, when Mary gets up from here, she's going to get up a different person. She's going to bring a joy to her serving. It's not going to be so heavy. There comes a time when you got to stop. Let me say that again. There comes a time when you got to stop. You got to drop. And you got to roll with Jesus. Are you listening to me? When you feel too stressed to even think about being blessed, it's time to stop and drop to your knees and spend some time rolling with Jesus. When your problems and worry come at you in a hurry, what time is it? Stop. Drop and roll. When you're overworked and tired and and you're still scared you're going to get fired? Stop, drop, and roll. When there's more month left than there is money? Stop, drop, and roll. Do you know that your boss isn't concerned about your family life? Do you know that most bosses are not concerned about your relationship with Jesus? They're concerned about lining their pockets with your life. And you got to be careful that they don't steal your life and your family. You, you don't have time for your kids because you're working nonstop. You're being led around. The devil's saying, chase this, chase this. Come over here. You need more money. You got to have hundreds of thousands. You got to have millions for your retirement. How are you going to buy that RV? Come on, come on. And you're running around chasing things that are not life. You need to stop. You need to drop down to your knees and say, 
Jesus, how's my life supposed to roll? Because it ain't like this. I wrote some other things just because I got caught up in the moment. When your baby's got colic and your wife don't want to frolic <laughs> and your cousin's living in the back room and he's an alcoholic, you know, stop, drop, and roll. Before you kill somebody, you understand? When the TV news gives you the blues and all your politicians lose, stop, drop, and roll. When you feel like, I might need some booze for the rest of this cruise, or there ain't enough pills to cure all my ills, you got to stop, drop, and roll. We're, we're searching for some relief here. You need relief in your life, and I'm telling you, it's found in the stop for a moment. Cut the TV off. Put your phone in a drawer. Drop to your knees and get the vertical right. Roll with Jesus and he'll make the horizontal make sense. Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, and I'm closing. Jesus said, come unto me. All you that are weary and carry heavy burdens and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart. You will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. What is a yoke? That's the thing that, that puts two oxen together. You know, you get in your side and, and they get in their side. And most of us are yoked up with the devil. And we're carrying a heavy load and we're just trudging through life and Jesus is saying take that yoke off and take my yoke upon you because my burden is light you'll find rest for your souls I know I'm speaking to people in here because we're living in the craziest society ever when all these gadgets that they promised was going to give us more free time has just caused us to have to make more production during the day more responsibility than ever before and if you don't stop the devil will lead you to your grave, yoked up, carrying a heavy burden. But pastor, you're asking us to do more. You're, you're always saying, I'm asking you to do what's important. And then you'll, I'm asking you to follow Jesus. I'm asking you to do what Miss Marsh and, and Seal did, live a life of meaning and purpose and destiny. And when you look back, you'll be able to say, I did something other than just chase that carrot around my whole life. You know, Angie's not driving a VW bug anymore. Our relationship evolved. We got married. We got hitched up. We got closer than ever before. But still, when she goes to leave to go to Seafood Junction on Friday night or Saturday, she's not driving a VW, but she's, she's driving a, a black Mustang, her dream car now. You see, there's benefits for staying yoked up with the right person. <laughs> but I still sit in the driveway and I'm, don't I? I hate to see her go. <laughs> <laughs>
Nej, men gott säger det. Jag måste säga det. Jag wanted to say that. I had a joke, but I cannot share it with you. But look, Heath tried to outrun the fires of this life, my brother. You may get it done one time around the, the, the barn, but eventually, if you keep running from the fires, it's going to catch up from you. And some of you know what I'm talking about. The fire is on your tail right now at your job or in your family, in your marriage. Things are not going the way they're supposed to. You're walking around without eyelashes and hair all singed. You look like you've been in a fight with a walrus or something. Look, you can keep out running the fire. I don't know where I get this stuff. It's just time to stop, drop, and roll with Jesus. Get your priorities in order. listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.